Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Living the Proverbs Day by Day for June 20th. Today's lesson from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish. Today's devotion is entitled, Too Many Possessions. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How important are your possessions? There's nothing wrong with having nice things, a lovely home, or good clothes. The question is, do you have nice things or do they have you? Are you the master of your possessions? If you always need one more, the latest version of something or something like the neighbor has, then perhaps you are the slave, not the master. It is very easy to be like the rich young ruler and lose everything that really matters because we can't let go of the things we have accumulated. So, if you find yourself wrapped up in the concerns of the material world, it's time to reconsider your priorities and it's time to begin storing up riches that will endure throughout eternity, the spiritual kind. My Utmost for His Highest, for June 20th, entitled, Have You Come to, quote, Win Yet? Our scripture comes from Job chapter 42, verse 10. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. A pitiful, sickly, and self-centered kind of prayer and a determined effort and selfish desire to be right with God are never found in the New Testament. The fact that I am trying to be right with God is actually a sign that I am rebelling against the atonement by the cross of Christ. I pray, Lord, I will purify my heart if you just answer my prayer. I will walk rightly before you if you will help me. But I cannot make myself right with God. I cannot make my life perfect. I can only be right with God if I accept the atonement of Jesus Christ as an absolute gift. Am I humble enough to accept it? I have to surrender, I have to surrender all my rights and demands 
and cease from every self-effort. I must leave myself completely alone in his hands, and then I can begin to pour my life out in the priestly work of intercession. There is a great deal of prayer that comes from actual disbelief in the atonement. Jesus is not just beginning to save us. He has already saved us completely. It is an accomplished fact, and it is an insult to him for us to ask him to do what he has already done. If you are now receiving the hundredfold, which Jesus promised in Matthew verse 29, Matthew 19 verse 29, and not getting insight into God's word, then start praying for your friends. Enter into the ministry of the inner life. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. As a saved soul, the real business of your life is intercessory prayer. Whatever circumstances God may place you in, always pray immediately that his atonement may be recognized and as fully understood in the lives of others as it has been in yours. Pray for your friends now and pray for those whom you come in contact with now. Streams in the Desert, June 20th. Our scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. When we have doubts or are facing difficulties, when others suggest courses of action that are conflicting, when caution dictates one approach, but faith another, we should be still. We should quiet each intruding person, calm ourselves in the sacred stillness of God's presence, study his word for guidance, and with true devotion, focus our attention on him. We should lift our nature into the pure light radiating from his face having an eagerness to know only what God our Lord will determine for us. Soon he will reveal his secret counsel, a distinct and unmistakable sense of his direction. It is unwise for a new believer to depend on this approach alone. He should wait for circumstances to also confirm what God is revealing. Yet Christians who have had many experiences in their walk with him know the great value of secret fellowship with the Lord as a means of discerning his will. Are you uncertain about which direction you should go? Take your question to God and receive guidance from either the light of his smile or the cloud of his refusal. You must get alone with him where the lights and the darknesses of this world cannot interfere and where the opinions of others cannot reach you. You must also have the courage to wait in silent expectation, even when everyone around you is insisting on an immediate decision or action. If you will do these things, the will of God will become clear to you.
and you will have a deeper concept of who he is, having more insight into his nature and his heart of love. All this will be your unsurpassed gift. It will be a heavenly experience, a precious eternal privilege, and the rich reward for the long hours of waiting. A few weeks ago, we did a first part on Modern Grace uh, called, Are You Sharp-Tongued? And it's taken a little bit of time, and we're going to do part two. This is courtesy of Church of the Great God in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we're going to start this off with a quote from Thomas Merton in his book, No Man is an Island. And this chapter uh, talks about sincerity, and I'll just kick it off with this. We make ourselves real by telling the truth. Man can hardly forget that he needs to know the truth, for the instinct to know is too strong in us to be destroyed. But he can forget how badly he also needs to tell the truth. We cannot know truth unless we ourselves are conformed to it. We must be true inside, true to ourselves, before we can know a truth that is outside of us. But we make ourselves true inside by manifesting the truth as we see it. If men still admire sincerity today, they admire it perhaps not for the sake of the truth that it protects, but simply because it is an attractive quality for a person to have. They like to be sincere, not because they love the truth, but because if they are thought to be sincere, people will love them. And perhaps they carry this sincerity to the point of injustice, being too frank about others and themselves, using the truth to fight the truth and turning it into an instrument of ridicule in order to make others less loved. The truth that makes another man seem cheap hides another truth that we should never forget and which would make him remain always worthy of honor in our sight. To destroy truth with truth under the pretext of being sincere is a very insincere way of telling a lie. Are You Sharp-Tongued? Part 2 from the beginning, humanity has found many ways to sin. Similarly, men have developed various methods to curb sin among themselves, whether through laws, fines, prisons, or executions. Some methods have been more successful than others, and some have not worked at all. James 3 is a commentary and admonition on an area of a person's life that no one has successfully tamed, the tongue. God has created us with an instrument that can sing his praises, yet curse his name. Our tongues compliment and criticize, comfort and offend, instruct and deceive. Since giving our lives to God, however, we have embarked on a lifelong task to tune this instrument to harmonize with God's melody. And what an arduous and intensive task that is. 
the first two, or the, excuse me, the first 12 verses of James 3 inform us how strong and wild this, quote, little member is in each of us. Like a bit controls a horse or a rudder turns a huge ship, the tongue has the ability to do things far beyond its size. It, it can start wars, condemn innocence, ruin lives and careers, separate friends and family, and worst of all, lead others to throw away their salvation. It is so vital that we control the use of our tongue. Most modern, tron, tron, excuse me, most modern translators start a new paragraph with James chapter 3, verse 13. Though it is a new section, James must have intended his next instructions to relate directly to his graphic words about the violent force of the tongue. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, Will, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. The apostle reveals here that the nature of the bit and the rudder that control the horse and the ship it is spiritual wisdom and understanding that descend upon us directly from God above that empowers us to keep our tongue in check. As earthly men, we have no means or strength to control this wild beast that resides in our tongue and expresses itself in our words. But as children of God, endowed with the power of his spirit and wisdom of his character, we can gain control over this member within not only that, we can use it in service to his will and purpose. If we examine our words and run them carefully through the filter of the fruit of the Spirit, we stand a far better chance of releasing the fresh waters that give life and restraining the salt waters that cause destruction. We can derive several points from these verses to aid us in our quest to tame our tongues. Number one, speak in meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It is knowing at all times where we stand with God, fully realizing who he is and the nature of his power in contrast to ourselves, his creation. Joshua cried out in confidence for the army of Israel to go forward. His confidence was not in himself or his leadership, but totally in his awareness of God's purpose in his life, God's law to live by, and God's sovereignty over him. He was, after all, clay in the potter's hands. If we keep this in mind, we will never have cause to feel better, more righteous, more successful, or more honorable than another.
Meekness is the ability to esteem others better than ourselves and to allow God to use as he wills or use us as he wills. Second Timothy verses uh, 20 in chapter two shows us that God will honor whom he will to seek honor for ourselves or to feel worthy of honor is a dead end and it will taint how we communicate with others. We will naturally look down on them, disrespect them, overlook them and criticize them. Test. If we have experienced dishonor, perhaps we need to look closely to see where we have dishonored others. We all stand guilty as charged. Two, give no place to envy. The second trait James mentions is bitter envy. If envy is desire for what another has, bitter envy must mean a person wants something so much that he is angry and hateful over it. Bitterness is no longer of anger and resentment. Bitterness is a child of anger and resentment. Satan takes great delight in burdening our hearts with these harmful emotions. Unprovoked or quick-tempered anger is a hallmark of our modern cities, which resound in the night with the bark of gunfire and the howl of sirens. Bitter envy takes jealousy to the next level, by adding resentment and anger, and from it emerges words that stab, cut, tear down, refute, and diminish. We use these to reduce the stature of another so we may seem to stand taller. A talebearer or gossip only wants his listener to think less of another so that he might think more of him. We can be envious because another sinned and, quote, got away with it, we can envy those who have more whom we feel don't deserve it. Envy often springs up when we receive unwarranted correction or, and someone else who deserves it does not. We can feel envy when one receives attention we desire for ourselves or when we fail to receive hard-earned recognition. Envious words are bitter words. They are pointed and sharp but their target is subtle. On the surface, they may even sound righteous, but in reality, they manipulate thinking in the speaker's favor. Test. Do our words build or burn? If we build our stature by burning another's, we are standing on a platform of ashes that will crumble and topple us over time. Only after I was gossiped about repeatedly did I begin to see my own words of envy expressed. How foolish it had made me look, trying to stand taller on a pile of ashes. Self-seekers end up lonely, part three. A speaker once said, young people feel like they have to find themselves. So they search this and that here and there, all in an effort to find themselves. So what if you spend all this time and energy to find yourself and in the end you discover nobody's home? Humorous, but so true. The loneliest people on the planet are those focused on themselves. If I am brutally honest in recalling the lonelier times of my life, I was lonely mostly because I was focused too much on myself. 
We learn to recognize self-focused people by their constant talking about themselves, their achievements, their experiences, their things, their opinions. They drone on endlessly. One author writes, people sometimes talk about themselves because there is nothing else rattling around in their heads. Such people usually have a better way of doing almost everything. Yet, one often wonders why they are not more successful in life. They ache to express an opinion and believe in their ability so wholeheartedly that they must be restrained from taking charge. One learns that when around them, a person's value is significant only in regard to their personal plans, and they will seldom alter their course to fit another in. Test. How much of our needs and desires fill our agenda each day? Conversely, how much room do we make for others? I used to say with pride, I usually don't do anything I don't want to do. I meant that I was master of my choices and in control of my life, but I was actually saying my plans, ideas, and schedule are far more important than anyone else's. Tomorrow, continue for part three on Are You Sharp-Tongued? Modern Grace.